Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. <laughs> and so, Lord God, we do worship you, and we, we thank you for who you are. Now, uh, Lord God, I pray that you would help us to preach, that you would give us the courage to preach and to hear your word. Lord God, we preach it realizing that we even preach it into the heavenly places, proclaiming your glory and realms that we can't even understand. And so, Lord, thank you that you are good and uh, that you and your love endure forever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This is a little bit freaky so if you get scared you can close your eyes but but imagine if you were dating this guy imagine if this lady was your mom imagine if this guy was your brother just imagine Talbot yeah you're making me angry Oh, am I? I know Dracula's secret. He has a move. Falcon. Please. No. No. be stressful, huh? Well, that uh, first clip was from the movie uh, The Hulk, 
the green guy was Bruce Banner. And in the movie, he's dating this gal named uh, Betty. But they have real relationship issues because every time he gets angry, he turns into this giant green monster. The second clip was John Connor's um, foster mother and father in the movie Terminator 2, Judgment Day. John already finds it difficult to trust his mother and his father, but once he suspects his mom of being a Terminator sent from the future to issue final judgment on all humanity, their relationship's pretty much over. The last clip was Anna Valerius and her brother Velcon. Velcon's a good man. The only problem is he's also just the opposite, a wolf man, a monster. Last week, I took the kids to see the movie The Wolfman. In The Wolfman, Lawrence uh, Talbot already has a very strained relationship with his father. However, the relationship really becomes entirely dysfunctional when Lawrence discovers that his father is a wolfman and that he's already devoured his mother and his brother. And uh, since he has bitten him, he's now turned into a wolfman too. Now, I, I'm not a mental health care professional. But I think it's safe to say that even if, even if you only suspected that your father was a, was a wolf man, or a terminator from the future, or even someone that turned into a monster when he was angry, well, even just that suspicion would have a profound impact upon your daily life. You might appear to be very obedient and respectful towards your father, even well-adjusted and compliant with everyone around you, and yet your heart would be like emotionally isolated, trapped within a prison of fear, unable to love. I think popular movies express our deepest fears, and perhaps our deepest fear is that Someone that we love and trust is also a monster. Not one nature, but two. In seminary, I took a course on alcoholism and its effect on, on, on people. And, and, uh, I hesitate to use this example because I don't want you to think that I'm just talking about alcoholics. You see, we're... We're all addicts, we're all divided, we're all what the Bible calls sinners. When we sin, we are divided, love and not love, truth and not truth, light and dark, substance and void. Well, when an alcoholic gets drunk, he or she is divided. I mean, it's really literally like another person shows up. And so the child of an alcoholic doesn't quite know what to do with that, what to expect. And so the child of an alcoholic learns not to, to trust. And now if you are an alcoholic or the adult child of an alcoholic, please understand that all of that can be redeemed. And I believe 
it will be redeemed. I just want us to see that any time we're two rather than one, or any time our children simply believe that we're two rather than one, it affects them in very, very powerful ways. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services lists the following as characteristics of adult children of alcoholics. One, fear of losing control. Two, fear of feelings. Three, overdeveloped sense of responsibility. Four, guilt feelings. Inability to relax, let go, have fun. Harsh, even fierce uh, criticism. Denial, difficulty with relationships. Living as a, a victim. Compulsive behavior. Confusing love and pity, etc., etc., etc. See, it's all a prison of fear. Hearts constrained by fear rather than constrained by love that is free. That prison can manifest as rebellion or responsibility, as tax collectors and sinners or scribes and Pharisees, but it's all the result of believing that your father is a monster. See, it's not even whether or not he actually is a monster, it's just suspecting that he is, not one, but two, counseled with a, with a man who deeply loved his father. And yet his father became addicted to alcohol and would sometimes become a monster. One night as a boy, he watched as his father in a drunken stupor threatened his entire family with a rifle while his, his mother screamed and yelled and cried. He, he, she screamed, where are them sons of bitches? I'm gonna kill them all. The boy watched as the police came, took his father to prison. But you see, the father wasn't the only one in prison. So were the hearts of his 12 children. Well, I've been profoundly blessed by my father. He passed away six years ago last Monday. He wasn't flawless, and yet more than anyone that I've ever known, his heart really looked like Jesus. I grew up believing that I could always count on my dad's heart for me. That my father would, in fact, die for me at the drop of a hat. And so most of the time, I trusted his judgment more than my own. That means I obeyed because I wanted to. And yet at times I, I didn't and he disciplined me, really, really disciplined me because he loved me. You know, discipline is love. It's a severe mercy. So discipline is hard for dads. It's hard for dads because it doesn't look like mercy. And for a child, it's tempting to think that the father is divided. Years ago when my, uh, one time my, my, my son had an accident at Walmart. We've been working on toilet training for, for a long, long time and so I, I, was, I was pretty upset and so I, I really scolded him. You know, that's what you do at Walmart. You go to Walmart to scold your kids. But <laughs> anyway, I, I, I really scolded him there in the aisle at Walmart and, and then he, he 
he looked up at me and he asked a question. It broke my heart. I don't think I'll ever forget how he looked up at me with those big eyes of his and he said, but daddy, you're still proud of me, right? <laughs> Let me paraphrase. Daddy, you're still one, not two, right? I remember thinking, oh, how, how can I show him? How can I let him know, sweetheart? I will always love you. But you see, buddy, I, I don't want you to live your life with poop in your pants. Not because I don't love you, but because I really, really love you. My judgment is love, and that will not change. But your underwear will change. Your underwear will change. So, so please, 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 please believe, buddy. I'm not two. I'm one. I'd die to show you that, that I'm one. Now, I'm no great father, and so... Sometimes I think I am divided, and, and yet God is the perfect father. Is he divided? Technically, the oldest heresy in the Christian church is the Marcionite heresy. In the second century, Marcion taught that the God of the Old Testament is a different God than the God we find in the New Testament. He taught that Yahweh uh, was a different God for he was vindictive and mean like, like a beast and that the God Jesus revealed was kind and merciful. Love. Well, the Marcionite faith passed away within a few hundred years. However, the belief that God isn't one but two came roaring back. In fact, it may be more prevalent today than at any time in history. Last week, we looked at John chapter five. Jesus goes to the pool of Bethesda, surrounded by just this multitude of invalids, and you may remember that out of all those invalids, Jesus walks up to one and asks him this question. He says, do you want to be well? And the guy really doesn't even answer the question, and so Jesus answers it for him. He says, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And he does. But you see, the man didn't choose Jesus. Jesus chose the man. Jesus chose wellness for the man and, and within the man. That's grace. God chose the man. And yet it appears that the other invalids still lay there like men in, in a Tomb. Why did God choose that man and not the others? Why does God choose to bless others with certain things and not you? Is he love for others and not you? Why did God choose that man and not those Jews, is God a monster? Is your father two instead of one? 
Honestly, I, I don't think I can think of a more pertinent question. John chapter 5, verse 15. The, the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the, the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does. Likewise, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead, not some dead, the dead, for as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will, whom he will. You see, it's just like the man at the pool. Salvation does not depend on your will, but God's will. In other words, faith is a gift. And salvation is 100% absolute grace. That was the glorious rediscovery of Augustine and a thousand years later, Luther and Calvin. Uh, the glorious discovery of, of God's grace, freeing us from a world of drivenness and fear. We choose because we've been chosen. In other words, we are predestined for the Son gives life to whom He will. Well, to whom does He will? To give it. Most of the early church fathers seemed to argue Jesus wills life for all. And so ultimately, all will get life. In the fourth century, one theologian I read, Basil the Great, read that he, that he stated this, stated that this was what most Christians believed in that day in the early church. Well, you know, that church was horrifically, terribly persecuted by the institutions of, of its day. However, in 391 AD, the church itself became the institution, became institutionalized for Christianity, became the official religion of the Roman Empire. You could say the church conquered the empire. Or you could say the empire conquered the church. Beware when fighting the dragon, lest you become the dragon. Well, in Scripture, both in Daniel and in uh, the Revelation of St. John, of this John, the, the Roman Empire is portrayed as a beast. You know, the institutions of this world operate in a very different manner than the kingdom of our God. They don't win authority through love. They seize power through fear, and therefore, they long to wield the greatest threat possible. Like a beast. The first great uh, 
Roman theologian, Latin theologian, was a fellow named Augustine. He was brilliant, profoundly wise in so many ways, and yet he was the first to argue that violence could be employed for the sake of evangelism. I've read he was first to teach the doctrine of eternal damnation, that is, endless torment as opposed to ionios punishment of the Greek fathers. Ironically, it was Augustine, like Calvin and Luther a thousand years later, it was Augustine who so beautifully described the wonders of grace, but, 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 but not grace for all. Just grace for those that submitted to the dictates of the institutional church before they died. So, so, so the son gives life to whom he will, and he wills to give it to a few, reasoned Augustine. And yet, if God is love, why would he give it to only a few? Well, Augustine's answer was that God is love and something else. And that something else is righteousness. And even though scripture never defines righteousness in just this way, Augustine defines it like this, revenging justice. And so you see, God has two attributes according to Augustine. One is justice, which is punishing people for their sin, and the other is mercy, which is not punishing people for their sin and giving them a new heart. So God has vengeance on most, claimed Augustine, so that a few can appreciate that he doesn't have vengeance on them. And that's grace. Appreciate grace says Augustine. And so for most Christians in the West, God has two attributes, which are really two natures, two opposite natures, justice, which is defined as not grace, and grace, which is defined as not justice. If you get justice, you will be endlessly tortured without mercy to the praise, quote, to the praise of God's glorious justice. And if you get mercy, you will have endless, endless ecstasy without justice to the praise of God's glorious grace. And, and you see, to me, that sounds like two gods, like Marcion's, two gods, but just in one God, like a mentally ill God. It sounds like one gigantic alcoholic father and we're his kids trying to cope. It's, it sounds like the Hulk, the Terminator, and the Wolfman all in one. It sounds like my deepest fear that my father is love and yet something totally opposite. Love and not love. Wolf and savior. Vengeful judge and merciful Jesus. Two years ago, the institution required that I publicly confess the following, and I quote, that it is God's will that he not call some of mankind and that he ordain them 
to wrath for their sin to the praise of his glorious justice. And I couldn't do it. For you see, nothing matters more than faith in my Father's heart. The sixth point of the National Association of Evangelicals Statement of Faith reads as follows. We believe in the resurrection of the saved and the lost. I do too. They that are saved unto the resurrection of life and they that are lost unto the resurrection of damnation. Damnation. Most people believe that's a place where God's wrath never ends. And yet scripture says in several places God's wrath does end, a place where God takes life and yet he must give life, sustain life, for they say the torture never ends. So it's a place where the works of the devil are not destroyed but actually somehow maintained by God for God alone has immortality, says scripture, eternity, and dang, that at least seems to make God far worse than the Hulk the Terminator and the, the Wolfman combined it, and, and so I'm supposed to preach that God is love? And that? That's tough. Phoenix, Arizona, hello. Hello, Larry, you're the best. And thank you, Joel, for your positive messages and your book. I'm wondering, though, um, why you sidestepped Larry's earlier question about how we get to heaven. Um, the Bible clearly tells us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light, and the only way that the Father is through him. That's not really a message of condemnation, but of truth. Yeah, I would agree with her. I believe that. So then That's the what Jew is not going to heaven. No, I... I, I mean, can well, here's my thing, Larry, is I can't judge somebody's heart. You know, I don't know. Only God can look at somebody's heart. And so, I don't know. I just, to me, it's not my business to say, you know, this one is or this one isn't. I'm just saying, here's what the Bible teaches. And I want to put my faith in, uh, you know, in Christ. And I, I just, I think it's wrong when we go around saying, you know, you're not going, you're not going, you're not going because it's not exactly my way. I'm just, I'm but not going to be the God. you believe your way. I believe my way. I believe my way with all my heart. But For someone uh, who doesn't share it. Well, it is wrong, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, I mean. Well, I don't know if I look at it like that. I would, I would present my way, but I'm just going to let God be the judge of that. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. See the problem? I think Larry is trying to say, Joel, your God seems like a monster. And I think Joel is trying to say, yeah, I know. But I've seen his heart. Well, Joel Olstein just got totally ripped on by conservative pastors for his wishy-washy answer. And yet I think he answered far better than most. And yet scripture does even better than that. And Jesus said, scripture cannot be broken. So let's read it. Chapter 5, verse 21, Jesus says, Jesus says, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Wow! 
So when we come to Jesus, we come to judgment. And if everybody comes to judgment, everybody comes to the way, the truth, and the life. For John said it, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way, the only way. He is the only way, but we don't own the only way. We don't tell him where to go and where he can't go. And the only way seems to show up, and I'm telling you that the damnedest places. And check this out, Jesus says, he says, the Father judges no one. In 8.15, Jesus says, I judge no one. In 8.26, he says, I have much to judge. He's like the judge who judges by not judging. Like he is the judgment. And he is uh, mercy, like his judgment is mercy. Not the opposite of mercy. All, all judgment to the Son, he says. Uh, The Father's given all judgment to the Son that, or so that all, not some, all, may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Honor him for what? Judgment! It's right here, you can read it. Wow! That sounds like every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. It sounds like every creature on heaven and earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in with them, praising the one on the throne, that's a judgment seat, and the lamb, the slaughtered lamb, like every creature, all, all creatures, all clapping and yelling and going, wow, what an awesome judgment. Great, I love that judgment. Well, what is his judgment? John 3, 19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light. And so what do we do? We crucified the light. Jesus is the light. John 12, 31, this is Palm Sunday, Easter week. Jesus cries out to the crowd, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, and he was speaking of his cross, I will draw all people unto myself. God's judgment is Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so to honor God for his judgment is to honor Jesus for his cross. And to honor Jesus for his cross is to live. Wow. Next verse. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. John 10, 30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one, not two, one. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Hearing and believing is eternal life. Not the cost of eternal life, not what you pay for eternal life, is eternal life. He does not come, next line, he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. He doesn't come into judgment because maybe he's already been judged. John 12, Jesus says, the one who rejects me, the one who rejects me has a judge. The word I've spoken will judge him on the last day when it is finished, whenever that is. We'll judge him on the last day. My word, but in John 15, Jesus says this to his disciples, you are already made clean by the word I have spoken. Jesus is the word. Jesus is the judgment. 
And the word is a knife, it's a sword, scripture says. Judgment means to cut, crisis, crisis in the Greek. When we come to the cross and witness God's love for us, it cuts us. It reveals that I am that bad, so bad, that I would take love himself and nail him to the cross. Every time you sin, that is exactly what you do. We are that bad. And God is that good. So good, he lets us. So good he bears all our bad judgments in order that we would see his good judgment, his heart, mercy. When we see it, it burns the hell out of us. It kills the old man and gives life to the new. That's judgment. Verse 25, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Those who hear will what? Class? Live. Those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. The Son of Man means that, that he is one like us, so he understands this. But the Son of Man also refers to the fiery man in Daniel chapter 7 and in John's revelation that destroys the beast and the institutions of this world and receives an eternal kingdom. Verse 28, do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all, an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. All in the tombs will hear his voice, all. And what happens to those who hear his voice? Class? They live. Yeah. And, and now please, just would you please, please, please remember this. I didn't write the Bible, okay? So I'm not just like making this stuff up. You're reading it right, right there. You can read it in your Bible. And, and I'm preaching it not because I'm looking for trouble because it's the next thing in the Gospel of John and we're preaching through the, through the Gospel of John. Verse 28. Uh, all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Not, not live, not, not yet, just come out. Just like Revelation chapter 29. Uh, John says, I saw the dead standing. Verse 29. And, and come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life. Done, done good. Who's, who's done good? Raise your hand if you've done good. Now, now look, he, come on, more of you've done good than that. The Bible says that, that Jesus said, you know, this is the works of the Father, um, to believe in the one whom he sent. So if you, if you believe in Jesus just a little bit like a mustard seed, you, you've done good. So go ahead, raise your hand. Have, have you done good? All right. That's really good. Uh, who here has done evil? 
Dang, it looks like some of the very same people. This could be a little more complicated than, than we thought. Done good. Okay, we, we just read um, to, to believe, and, and John has said to believe is to do the works of the Father. To believe is to pass from, from death to life. So you see, those that, that have done good, they, they come to the resurrection of life, says John, because I think, I think he just told us that they already have eternal life. They have already come to judgment because they've already come to Jesus, the judge. That's awesome. Verse uh, 29, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil, evil is not believing in Jesus, to the resurrection of judgment. And to come to judgment is to come to whom? Jesus. And judgment is what? Grace, Jesus Christ, him crucified, lifted up. And judgment does what? It cuts the evil from the good. So if a person is only evil, if that's even possible, if a person is only evil, only darkness, only lies, only works of the devil, perhaps nothing remains after judgment. Because Jesus appeared to destroy the works of the devil. And yet Jesus just said, all who are in the tombs, all who are in the tombs will hear. And all who hear will live. Live, live. He's the life, live. That, well, that must be after the resurrection of judgment. And now I, I don't doubt that that judgment may be very severe and I don't doubt that, that a person may gnash their teeth in the outer darkness of the tomb for a long time before that happens. And I don't doubt that when it happens, the eternal fire may not just like burn like hell, the judgment of Gehenna. But you see, God's judgment is Jesus Christ and him crucified. God's judgment is mercy. Not the opposite of mercy. And though judgment looks different in each person because he makes each person unique, that's a blessing, not a curse, because judgment looks different in each uh, person. Even though it looks different, our Father is always love. So maybe God is not two, but one. Every day, a good Jew prays this twice. They did in that day, and they, they do this day. It's the Shema. It means to hear. Hear, O Israel, it's Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your strength. In other words, your father is one. And so you must be one. One substance. And that is love. Jesus said this is the greatest commandment. Hear, do you hear? Your God is one, and you shall love. God is love, and God is holy, and God is a consuming fire, and God is one. His very substance, his very brilliant, white-hot substance 
is our judgment. They shall come out to the resurrection of life, said Jesus, and the evil to the resurrection of crisis, crisis, which clearly means judgment and is almost always translated judgment. And yet here in this spot, in this particular spot, in the King James Version and several other versions, it's translated damnation. I don't know about you, but to me there's a really big difference between being judged and being damned. To judge is to decide. To damn is to have decided. To damn is to take the place of the judge. And to take the place of the judge is the very essence of evil. I I think maybe we've taken the place of the judge and judged the judge as two rather than one. Why would we do such a thing? Well, maybe we are not one, but two. Maybe God is not a monster. I'm the monster. We're the monster. In John's revelation, there there is a complete monster, a dragon named Satan. He controls the two beasts. One is political institutions. The other is religious institutions serving political institutions. Satan is a liar and is the father of lies. And to believe his lies is to give birth to the beast in you. His chief lie is this. Your father is a monster. And therefore, children of Adam, you better judge yourselves and hide yourselves from his judgment, for your father cannot be trusted. He'll try to convince you that your father is a monster, like him. I don't want to attribute to my father the attributes of the evil one. He'll try to convince you that your father is a monster, and when that fails, you know what he'll try to do? He'll try to convince you that you are nothing but monster. And, and why is that? Well, your heart knows. Your heart knows. There, there are no monsters in heaven. And God's judgment destroys monsters. God's judgment takes wolf men and turns them into men. And so Satan wants to convince you that you're nothing but a wolf because he wants you terrified, terrified of God's judgment for God's judgment is Satan's condemnation. He's the wolf. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out, said Jesus, at judgment. Judgment is Satan's condemnation and your salvation. God's judgment takes two and turns them into one. Like this. Theodore, son of Thinger. Too long have you sat in the shadows. I would stay still if I were you. Hearken to me. I release you from the spell. Ha 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 ha!
<laughs> you have no power here, Gandalf the Grey. <laughs> I will draw you, Saruman, as poison is drawn from a wound. Wait. If I go, Theoden dies. You did not kill me. You will not kill him. Rohan is mine. Be gone. the free air again, my friend. I know this may seem weird, but I've actually heard demons say that. If you cast me out, she'll die. But she didn't die. And you won't die. You'll live. That old you, the false you, the beast, that you thought was you, will die. And the real you, the new you, Christ in you, will live. That's judgment. And so run. Run. Not away from, but run to your Father's judgment. Remember the man who watched his drunken father threaten to kill his whole family? I didn't counsel him. He counseled me. That was my father. The most Christ-like man I've, I really have ever known. And You see, this is my point. His, his heart didn't stay in prison. <laughs> For he met his real father and came to trust his heart, our Lord Jesus, and so he ran to God's judgment. And now if you're an alcoholic or the adult child of an alcoholic or a sinner, listen closely. Jesus even takes your sin. That 
empty place, the wound left by the beast, and he transforms it into grace. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, wrote Paul, and that, that, my friends, is judgment, it's Jesus. You, now, you may have a lot of questions about judgment. I mean, all this stuff I talked about, you may have lots of questions about it. I do. Scripture, Romans 11, it says, we cannot comprehend all of God's judgments. And, and yet I, I, I do think that the Father is saying this. Oh, listen, sweetheart. Listen, buddy. I know this is confusing to you. I know that this world hurts and my discipline hurts. I, I know you cannot understand all of my judgments, but you do know my judgment. And you can trust my judgment because I've shown you my judgment, my heart. I let you even arrange for you, I even arrange for you to nail it, to nail him to your tree. My judgment is Jesus Christ and him crucified for all to see, for you to see. I am love for you, and I do not change. That's my judgment. Believe it and live. And so he took the bread and he broke it saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way after supper, he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant, the eternal covenant in my blood poured out, shed for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. Uh, this is the judgment which stands at the very end of space and time and meets you here and now, right now. Trust his judgment. Run to his judgment. When you sin, don't run away from his judgment. Run to your Father's judgment. And what does that mean? It means that you confess your sins in the light of his judgment. That you believe his mercy, which is judgment. And that you trust his judgment more than your own judgment, which is obedience. Because you want to. You're free. Let's pray. Now you can pray this after me in your heart. If you want Jesus, oh, he wants you. <laughs> if you want him, pray this in your heart after me. Just pray silently. Pray in the name of Jesus. Father, I confess that I am two, not one.
I'm that bad. But Father, I'm beginning to believe, like with a mustard seed of faith, that you are that good, that you are one, that you are love. And so make me one as you are one. I want you to be my judge. Not me, not the people around me, not the institutions of this present darkness, but you. In Jesus' name, amen. Then get up, take up your bed, and run to the table. Tear off a piece of bread, dip it in the cup. Dark cups are wine, light cups are juice, and they're both God's love for you. Not just your lips, your heart will sing how great is our God. Now before you go, let me say, I spoke on stuff that I get a lot of flack for, um, and I hope I don't do that because I'm looking for fights or needing to defend myself. I hope it's because I want you to see how, how incredibly great is our God. Well, if you have questions though, that's great. Run to the questions. Do not run away from the questions because the light is your friend. The truth is your friend. The word is your friend. And if you want, on our website, there's a section that calls Theological Issues. You can go down there and you can read all kinds of stuff on this topic. But um, I hope you get the point of my message. And that is that we really can't understand all of his judgments. Scripture says that. But he has shown us his heart, and it's one. By way of benediction, sorry, I, I, but let me just read this, because it's so cool. It's not just John, okay? It's throughout scripture. This is the Apostle Paul in Romans. He's just spent chapters talking about vessels of wrath, hardening Pharaoh's heart, what happened to the Jews, what happens to the Gentiles, all this incredible stuff, and then he concludes all of this by stating the following. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth and riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And so in Jesus' name, amen.